You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 72, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today I'm going to be speaking with David Klein, the founder and chief experience officer of America Offline, reconnecting America through transformational offline experiences. David is passionate about reconnecting through various learning and development programs. You can find out more about David at americaoffline.info. I'm extremely pleased to welcome David Klein to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. In the interview that you're about to hear with David Klein of America Offline, you're going to hear him talk about how he creates and runs offline experiences for young people where they play sports and music and do art and do all kinds of things face-to-face with each other without using technology. And for this week's tip, I'd like to suggest paying attention to the ways in which you get pulled away from those offline, face-to-face interactions with the people around you into online experiences. It happens to all of us. And you can do this simple exercise, which is just for the next week. See if you can pay attention whenever you're talking with a friend, having a meal with family, at a meeting, at work, doing something face-to-face with another person without technology use, and then you find yourself using tech. Maybe you pull out your phone to check some messages, write an email, respond to something. Now, when I say pay attention to it, you may not notice it when you're doing it because we all engage in these kinds of habits automatically. But if you set your intention to paying attention to this for a week, I bet you'll be able to notice at least after the fact, like as you're putting your phone away and re-engaging in that face-to-face conversation with someone, that you'll be able to notice, hey, you know what? I just used my phone absentmindedly. And if you can, however you can, make note of this. It might be too much of a hassle to keep a notepad in your pocket. Maybe you can do this on your phone. Maybe you can do it a couple of times a day to just kind of keep track of what you find is drawing you away from offline experiences into online ones, in particularly in ways that you later regret or feel were somehow outside of your control or not intentional. And then just pick one of those You know, maybe it's, oh, I found that I'm frequently during work meetings when I get bored pulling my phone out. I'm going to focus on that behavior so that the next time I'm in a work meeting and I feel that urge out of boredom, which is really natural, to pull my phone out, you'll be more likely to notice the urge and be able to catch it before you act on it. And of course, I want you to focus on the behaviors that you most want to work on curtailing in some way. So whatever you feel you most regret or would like to change, I would say pick that one first because that's what you're going to have the most motivation to work on improving. And after that, you can go down the list if you want to the ones that are less bothersome to you. And I hope that you'll find that if you work on even one or two of these, that you'll be able to stay more focused and present in those offline, face-to-face, in-person interactions with the people around you in your life. I hope you find that useful. 
And I think you're really going to enjoy the upcoming interview with David Klein of America Offline. Hi, David, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Robert, thank you for having me here. I'm really looking forward to today. Yeah, same here. Uh, I'd love for you to tell people what motivated you to start America Offline and be working on getting young people to be together in the real world. Okay, I will try to put it in a, uh, <laughs> a nutshell for you. It's a long yeah. story. So my whole life, I grew up playing sports and I still to this day think that sports was really allowed me to be who I am today. And so all growing up, I was, I was playing sports. My sport of choice was baseball. I loved just playing with teammates. I loved grinding it out on the field. When I was done playing baseball in college, I wanted to start my own semi-professional collegiate team. And that's exactly mm -hmm. what I did. And so that was when I really started working with youth and teens. I ran a program in California, a nonprofit called Legends Baseball. We played 15 games up and down the coast. And then a few years ago, I took over my high school varsity head coaching position that I, the same high school I graduated from, Menlo Atherton High School out in the Bay Area. And the first thing that I noticed with my teens was that they weren't getting their licenses. And I was like, that's weird. You know, my licenses. seniors, yeah, their driver's license. I was like, that's weird. Why, why are my seniors getting picked up by, by mom and dad? That's really strange. The other thing that I noticed was they were quieter than kids were when I grew up in Menlo Park. And they just, they were kind of stressed out. They were kind of blah, kind of zombie-like. They weren't getting fired up for each other. There wasn't this general level of enthusiasm for each other when, for each other's successes. Yeah. And I just didn't, something just felt off to me. And, I, and just and, so people know, when, roughly when were you growing up and when were these kids growing up to give some timeline? Yes. Yeah, so I graduated in 2005, so I'm 32 now, yeah. and I took over the high school in 2016. So it was, you know, a good decade later from when I graduated to when I took over the high school, maybe just a little over a decade. Yeah, so it's actually not all that long a time to notice such a difference in kids. No, <laughs> but look what's happened within that time yeah. between 2005, no smartphone, no ubiquitous technology adoption yeah. as far as, as that goes. Yeah. And then in 10 years later, the explosion of the, the smartphone where, you know, 97% of, or even more, 98% of teens have a smartphone in their pockets at all times. So there was a big yeah. shift. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that was all because of that, but technology has exploded from the time that I was in high school to today, yeah. or even just 2016. Okay. So you, you noticed it. One thing that's interesting to me is you're not talking directly about changes in how they're using technology. You're witnessing the side effects of that in their personalities, how they relate to each other, how they relate to you. That's what got your attention. Yeah. So I'll, I'll continue the story, Robert. So what happened was after my second year, I, I started, like, these are great kids. Don't get me wrong. I, I love my kids. I'm still in touch with many of them. They're amazing kids. And, and none of this is saying that these kids were, were terrible or messed up or anything. They're just the product of, of today's society. And we're seeing this all over the country, all over the world. But it was after the second year that I was coaching there that a parent reached out to me. And I hear I, I was all about creating a united team culture. Like 
yes, I wanted to develop a winning team and have fun, but I really wanted kids to connect and have an amazing experience. That's what this was all about for me. And after the second year, I thought we were trending in the right direction. I knew there was some clicks on the team. But after the second year, a parent reached out to me and they were like, you know, David, there's a lot of kind of talk right now that kids are just not having fun. Mm. They're just not having fun. And I was like, ah, man, that that sucks because that's all I care about really was that they're having a positive learning experience. And so I didn't know what to do about it. And I was like, wow, like, am I a bad coach? I really hit a wall because I, I put up my life into these kids. And I started meeting with every single kid and their parents, 44 one-on-ones. It took me like three or four days. And they were each about 15, 20 minutes. And we sat it there and we dug in on, on habits, the team experience, how they were experiencing my coaching, things that I could be doing better, ways that they could have done better. And things that, you know, I could help them with off the field or even on the field. And what I learned through that was my kids were spending, well, that, I remember one of the kids was saying like, what do you do in your free time? He goes, I just spend the time on my phone. I'm just like on my phone. I was like, oh, I never really thought that like just being on your phone is something to do. It's It's an activity in and of itself. And so through that process, I learned that my kids were averaging between six to 10 hours a day on a device, on a smartphone. And so that was the moment that I was like, okay, let's dig a little deeper here. Maybe maybe this has something to do with why my kids just seem disengaged. They're not having fun. They're not really friends. They're not going to get burgers after the games together and like kind of making fun of each other and ragging on each other. And so I started traveling the country and, and started talking about this with other coaches. And I found that coaches were seeing the exact same thing everywhere. And so I started to put the pieces together as to why this was happening. And it wasn't, and I started reading a book. So the first book that I picked up was Jean Twenge's book, iGen. And I was like, wow, like she, she cites a lot, of, a lot of great statistics there, a lot of meta-analysis of studies. And it wasn't until I went out to Detroit and I met with a family friend and she was a senior in high school. And we're, we're out there for lunch. And I say, Paige, how's your senior year going? And she said, she says, David, you know, I, I just don't really like it. I'm just, I'm not really having fun. Everybody out here is stressed out. I literally don't have one friend who isn't on anti-anxiety medication. Wow, wow. I was like, wow, that, that's terrible. That was like verbatim what she said. Next day, I go out to lunch with another family friend. She's a junior, same town, different high school. And I say, hey, Jordan, Paige said that everybody out here is stressed out. Is that true? Like, what's going on? She said, David, it's really bad. I had two of my friends, one on my lacrosse team and one on my softball team, two of them committed suicide in the last three months. And that, that was the moment where it was like, I got to do something. Mm-hmm. I planted my flag in the sand and I was like, I got to do something. I'm in a great position here in the Bay Area, ground zero for tech adoption and development where I'm old enough to know a world before technology, but young enough to still be able to co- sort of relate with kids. Mm-hmm. I'm in a great position and I had a network of kids to impact right away so that I could start bringing some more awareness to how they're using their devices and start to make a dent in this depression, anxiety-ridden society that we're, we're living in. And so that's my story. That's what got me started doing it. And you know, my process and all my failures trying to get my program off the ground is a whole other story. But that was really what inspired me. And that's whenever I get to those moments of like, why am I doing this? Why am I dedicating my life to this? This is really hard to connect with kids. I'm really fighting against, you know, these, these, the, the tech industry. I think back to those, those kids that are really struggling. I think back to Jordan. I think about 
Paige and you know her friends that that lost their lives, and the same things that were showing up for for Jordan and Paige's friends were the same types of symptoms that I was seeing in my players. Wow. That's my story. Yeah, it's really moving. I do want to talk about what you do with kids, but yeah, just one more question before that, which is you mentioned that the technology you found both through your direct experience and then what you were reading was a significant part of the contribution. So I wonder what you can say about that. And without taking up too much time, you know, what are the key additional factors outside of technology? Obviously, it's not the only thing. The economy has changed. There's a lot of, a lot of other things going on in the world. But maybe speak you know, mostly to the technological side of it. But what have you found are the major themes driving these changes in the teenagers you work with? Well, I think the fact that people are so connected, parents are so connected. It's more of like, I feel that parents are wanting to put that bumper sticker on the car figuratively, like, Hey, my kid's getting into, my kid got into Stanford or or even the kid just being like, Oh, thank you so much for the full ride to UC Santa Barbara, USC or UCLA, where there's a lot more sort of fronting on social media. That's creating a society where there's just a lot more pressure to perform. That I think is a huge part of this whole thing. So if you were a fly in the wall in the dugout in one of my baseball teams, what you'd hear kids talking about was cosines and tangents and math equations and where am I going to school and the test the next day because that's what's so important. That, that's what's really important to kids. They weren't acting like kids. So that's one of the big things that I think is causing the, the, the anxiety and, and, and depression. And also kids are just not spending as much time out on the streets like they used to for a multitude of reasons. Kids back in the fifth, families back in the 50s, 60s, there used to be an average of four kids. Now parents are averaging about two kids. And so they're just more on top of their kids, booking them up around the clock with different activities. This is giving them less time to spend time out in the streets and connect with kids face-to-face and build relationships and social skills and the emotion and emotional intelligence necessary to manage their emotions, necessary to navigate difficult situations, whether it be on the field or in real life. I think all these things are creating society where kids are less equipped to move on to the real world. And it's a lot easier to sit behind a screen and push away all your feelings as opposed to running to people face-to-face when you're having problems. We're seeing more kids now post about things and set up fake Instagram accounts. And for many kids, that's, that's a great thing. Many introverts or kids that are facing problems, whether you be LGBTQ or whatever, that is a good outlet for some, but sometimes it's also, it's not, and it goes in the other way. And truly this, these face-to-face interactions are where empathy and social skills are built. And so those are just a few of the things that came up as you asked the question. Yeah. Yeah. And and I want to talk now about, you know, your approach through America Offline, which as Mm -hmm. you said, there can be ways in which technology itself can help address some of these problems, but you've taken a very different approach in America Offline, which is offline (laughs) experiences. So let's tell people about about what that organization is about and what you do. Well, I I first off want to preface by saying that like technology is an incredible tool. Look, like we're having a really awesome meeting right now and we're going to be able to get, disseminate this message across all sorts of platforms right now. 
now, which wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for technology. So I think we can both agree we're not demonizing technology in no. any way. It's an incredible, it's an incredible tool. That said, I want to take it back to the old days where we could teach kids how to reconnect with themselves, reconnect with others, and reconnect from nature by completely stripping down and getting offline and getting off technology. And I've seen total breakthroughs with kids just in going for a weekend retreat, just going off through the grid through one of our experiences, even if we don't even teach them tech life balance tricks or anything like that. Just the fact that my kids are walking away from these retreats and saying, you know what? I just never knew I could have that much fun with no technology out in nature with a ball and other kids hiking. I never knew that it could be that much fun. And that for me is a huge win in and of itself. Obviously we do other things out there. Some of the greatest moments that I've created for these teens, Robert, is connecting around the campfire where we could, and it usually takes some time to slip into those moments of vulnerability. Can I tell you one story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And this has happened for me a, a few times now. I think about this very often. The first retreat we did was called Legends Unplugged. It was a pilot experience. This was like me just testing out to see if this, my type of intervention of just going offline for weekend experiences with kids worked. So I like to do lots of, you know, I do workshops and we do lots of games to sit around the campfire. We'll do a game like hero hardship highlight, name your, you know, walk around. You could either say your hero, a hardship or a highlight you've been through. You know, we'll ask them like, oh, like what's, you know, who's your super, what's your superpower, things like that. And then I usually open up a conversation of like, what are you going through now, right now? Like, what are you really going through? What is, what is holding you back? What are you struggling with? What's in the middle from where you are right now to where you want to be? And I usually start off by sharing stuff, stuff that I'm going through, stuff that maybe even my friends don't know about me. And we go around the circle and kids are, are pouring their hearts out. We're sitting around the campfire. It's almost like being around the campfire. They're not, they don't have to give each other eye contact. You can kind of just see their faces. And so it, it almost like, strips down and makes it so like you really could open up. And when we do this, kids are going around. This is the first time we did it. They say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm dyslexic. Oh, my, my parents yell at me every night because they're stressed out about work. Oh, I feel I have no confidence in my ability to make friends. And they're pouring their hearts out. And these kids, some of them are friends. They're learning things about each other that they never knew. And Robert, every time that I've done this at my retreats, every time without fail, we go around the circle and kids start raising their hand again. They're like, can I share again? Mm. Can I share again? Can Mm. I share again? And to me, what that's saying is that these kids have never been given the opportunity to truly open up to their Mm. friends about their deepest, darkest issues, problems, what's holding them back. And just being able to voice that and express it, maybe you can relate, but that's why there's therapists out there. It is so incredibly healing. Yeah. Yeah. And as you said, I don't, you know, you said early on that you're not judging them for having the experiences they have. This is just the life and the world they've been born into. But when I hear this, I think, so I think I'm a generation older than you, you know, you're a generation older than them. And this was just natural. I mean, it wasn't always easy, particularly me with other boys may not be sharing as deeply, but when you had time that was unstructured, when you were with your friends, there were no devices back then. There was no social media or anything like that. Those were the times when you would let yourself be known to each other. Well, I'll tell you, like when I was growing up, I, I was just on the streets all the time. 
probably with you too, you know, Mm -hmm. creating our own fun, kicking the can down the creek, if you will. When I wanted to see my friends, well, we used to talk on the phone, believe it or not. Like we would talk on the phone, but if not, we couldn't do this. We would actually have to knock on their doors and bike over to their house and say, oh, hey, Mrs. Jones, is Bobby there? And like, and that's how you built relationships. And that's, we were able to develop stronger bonds and stronger ties and really get to know each other mm-hmm. as opposed to today where we tend to, we have our phones, we have social media, we have all these different ways to connect and it's taking the place of those valuable in-person interactions. I'm not saying that kids never hang out with each other anymore. Right, right. They do, but on the most part, if you look at the research, it's down by a lot. The amount of time kids are spending unsupervised, having unstructured play. We need to bring this back. And I'm starting to get more hopeful as I see communities and parents and more people like you and I spreading the message about the need for this. Uh, I would love to get to the place where I can drive around my hometown again and there were kids out in the streets, but you're just not seeing it anymore. Yeah, yeah, you don't see it. I mean, I lived, uh, uh, I've lived urban, suburban, now rural, you know, and uh, particularly suburban in 2000s, 2010s, saw very little, very little of kids being out in the street. So rare that when I did see it, it would take me by surprise because it seemed like such an unusual thing. Oh God, so funny. My neighbors right across the street, they, uh, they have two kids. I would call them, you know, relatively free range kids. The mom says they're addicted to tech, but whenever they're out there, my wife goes nuts because they'll be be playing baseball or sorry, basketball late at night. And I'm trying to put my two-year-old down. And she's like, oh my God, they're playing basketball late at night. Like I'm so frustrated. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of frustrating, but like, good. Like, I'm glad there's kids outside playing. Like, this is awesome. So yeah, it does kind of take me by surprise sometimes. And it's just a little more rare, but I think people are starting to wake up to it a little bit, which, which makes me happy and, and hopeful. So tell people, because you said you'd love to see this happening more. You're seeing some helpful signs of it. A little bit more what your experiences are like and you know, maybe start telling people how they can find out about you and America Offline and how they can they or their their teenage kids can take part in these experiences. I mean, so so we're, we're the goal is to do them all over the country. Right now, we're we officially have online. You could sign up for for Dallas, um, a Dallas location next summer, and then for one in Santa Cruz, Northern California. We're going twelve to sixteen years old. They're fairly intimate right now. They're low cost, and there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to them. Meaning, when you sign up with us, we send you sort of like a welcome package, if you will. And by the way, these aren't for kids that are like totally tech addicted. This is just for normal kids. This is just for kids that just want to just connect better and get that driver's ed for their their smartphone, but also just just connect with nature and just be outside and have fun. And so they're pretty, they're, you know, they're pretty affordable. And so when you, when you join us, we send you a welcome package. We, we have like a digital mindfulness orientation, if you will. And then we have the event itself. And then we keep the kids connected through zoom, something like this. And so they can continue maintaining the relationships and stay on track with everything that we sort of put in place at camp. We also equip them with, with blue light glasses, with communal charging stations, with uh, an alarm clock, not their I'm smartphone. Yeah, <laughs> Not their smartphone as an alarm. Not the smartphone. Okay. But what we will do, do on the last day, because they're, they're tech-free retreats, but we do reintegrate the smartphone and give it back to them. Mm. And we walk them through and, they, and we give them some tips and tricks as to how they can 
bring some more self-awareness to how they use their devices. So a lot of the things that you, you and I probably know very well, everything from putting it on to, to do not disturb, to removing you know, the most addicting apps, to the, the not the homepage, limiting notifications, things like that. We walk yeah. you through it. But for me, it's, I'm not projecting onto how you should live your life and how you should do it. Let's come up with something that works for you and your family. And with that being said, we also empower the families with a process so that they can teach the kids and mentor them and guide them at home. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter how much we do with the kids. And if, if they just go back home and they're all families on devices all yeah. the time, then it really works against everything that we've, we've shown them at camp about how great it can be to incorporate little bits of offline time into their lives. So that's a little bit about our retreats and why they're so powerful. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that last part about the family as a whole, mm-hmm. right? It's, uh, you know, you, you probably would be uh, running against the wind if you just had the teenagers there and then they go back into the home environment where either their siblings or parents or other family members aren't on the same page to some degree about this and being mutually supportive of each other. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's imperative. There's like this old, I, I don't know the deep, my recall is not always the best, but there's this old study. It was looking at Vietnam veterans and people in Vietnam, and they were all addicted to heroin. And I'm not, not drawing the translations to heroin, but what they found was they were, they were trying, the American government was trying to do uh, an intervention out in Vietnam and get all the soldiers off of heroin. They couldn't do it. They couldn't get them off. And then what happened was as soon as everybody came back from, from the war and they were in a different environment, like the, the heroin addiction rates and usage rates just completely plummeted because their whole environment was different. So it's, mm-hmm. it's very much envirom- uh, environmental. How can we support kids and support families with an environment that is more conducive to be self-aware with technology and limit the device interactions in a way that serves them? Like mm-hmm. that, that's really what we're after. And a lot of that is, is low hanging fruit. Like there's a lot of little things that you can do within the home that are simple and quick and easy that will actually start to make a difference. Give just one example of that. You know, I'm sure you've got a, an hour's worth or more of them, but just one yeah, simple example. You know, and some of these things are like cliche, like you hear them often, yeah. right? Try to give some like new ones, but like there is like 4G and now 5G now, but, but ultimately with a lot of these platforms, like if you control the Wi-Fi, you can control the usage. So I don't know who I was listening to. I think it was James Clear from Tiny Atomic Habits. And you can actually get, I haven't actually haven't recommended this too much, but I'm actually trying, I'm going to try it out for like 10 bucks. You know, those little socket things that will turn off the power yeah. on a socket or turn yeah. it back on. You yeah. could actually put that on. And, and you could also do this through like Xfinity officially too, but like you could put it on the, the socket that controls like your television and your Wi-Fi. Yeah. And just at 10 o'clock or 9.30 at night, it just turns off and it's just kind of like shuts down. So that's one, that's you know, you hear a lot about communal charging stations. We, we have this as part of our experiences where, and I like to put them, it kind of depends how your home is set up, but you can have them typically like in the bed, the parent's bedroom, away from the side of the bed, like up against the wall, maybe up against a dresser. And then, you know, come up with a family agreement that says, hey, together as a family to build better connection. And so we can wind down and get better sleep and just connect better and debrief out our day about our days. Uh, how about we agree on 930 at night? Let's just all put them on that communal charger yeah. and we'll get them back the next morning. I mean, yeah. there's little things like that yeah. that can be done. I really love the alarm clock. Yeah. Uh, I've been testing out alarm clocks. I could, I wish I could run to my, um, <laughs> yeah. to my, but there's actually, 
differences in the types of alarm clocks. Yeah, and yeah. I've learned this. So I, I bought one and originally it was one of the ones that you say something loud and it'll turn on, but there's like a very bright white light that turns yeah. on for like 15 seconds. But anything that's blue or white or very bright, even just glancing at it will keep you up a little bit more. So like, I'm really into the, the ones that are just more like those digital watches that you can just kind yeah. of tap for a second. But having an alarm clock by your bedside instead of your device, just naturally, yeah. it will, it'll keep you off your device a little bit more because our willpower is only so strong yeah. And, yeah. and just having it there. And so I, I can give a recommendation for my alarm clock, but like, I know people like this for an alarm clock because it's super easy to set. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, so I've, found, I've been testing ones out that like make it so there's less friction and it's yeah. just like really easy to set. So like, there's no excuse, like just set the alarm clock. It's easy. Yeah. You can even travel with it because it's battery packed. So like those are three low hanging fruit ones. And then I'll just say like the blue light glasses. Do I have them here? You, I, I, I don't, I'm not too picky about them. Just go get some blue light glasses. So if you are working at night or if you are finishing up a show and it's going a little bit past, I'm a very light sleeper. I know that when I'm on devices or my screen's working late at night, I just can't sleep. Like I'll be laying down and my eyes will be kind of flickering. And it just yeah. takes me longer to fall asleep. And then when I do fall asleep, I don't get into deep restorative sleep as quick. So these are just a few of the types of things that can be implemented fairly quickly and fairly cheaply. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I, I like the, the recommendation about phones away to the charging station at a certain time because, you know, no one's giving an order to the family. We must then use that time to sit down together, do something else. But you can then let it, you create the opportunity for that to happen naturally if that's what people do when the phones aren't there demanding people's attention at that time. Quick story. I do workshops. Ups, right. And, and I'll do some of the stuff at the workshops at the retreats. And so I do part of one of the workshops that we do, we play a game called categories and I'll start it off and I'm like, all right, categories like shoes. And they're like Nike, Adidas, Fila. And like, then I'm like sodas and they're naming sodas. And then I go like apps and then video games. And then we go to things you can do. And you, you go around and like one person goes. And then like, if you get stuck, we just kind of like all laugh at you and it's just kind of fun. <laughs> okay. um, or if you repeat something that somebody else has said, it's like, ah, oh, you messed up. <laughs> and then we'll go, things you can do at night, not on a screen. Inside, not on a screen. <laughs> and every time I do this, it's like infinite. Kids will be like singing, yeah. cooking, face painting, dancing, yeah. talking, whatever, maybe origami. And like, yeah. there's just infinite, minimum, infinite amount, amount of things that you can do. And they're all really fun. Um, great. and then we do, we, we go things you can do outside with your friends on the street without technology. Mm -hmm. Same thing. It goes on way longer than, than shoes or, or candy brands. It's really yeah. infinite. And until you kind of strip down, you, you know, you take it away yeah. and get creative. You, you don't really discover that stuff, but you'll find that if you try that families that are listening, you'll find yeah. that some really fun stuff will come up for you and your family. That's awesome. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I always like to, to give people who are listening something they can do on their own or with their family at home. So that, that's really awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let people know uh, where can people go online <laughs> to find yeah. out about you, to see uh, your experiences and just about America offline generally. Yes. So uh, we definitely use online as a tool to, to spread our message. We are on, uh, to search America Offline, we're the only America Offline out there on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, 
YouTube and AmericaOffline.info. You can sign up for our experiences there. I also love hearing from anybody out there that has questions or wants to connect about these things. You can reach out to me personally at David at AmericaOffline.info. I also have a podcast just like you, Robert. (laughs) Just search America Offline with David Klein. I would love to hear from anybody out there that is uh, interested in learning more. Yeah, that's perfect. And I know you said that right now you're expanding geographically, and I assume that you'd love to hear from people who want one of these in a new place or perhaps could even help you organize or run one of these in a new place so that they can start spreading around throughout the country. Totally. Thank you for bringing that up. So we have experienced designers, if you will, that are popping up that want to host these experiences and we're setting up systems for them so that they can host these meaningful experiences for their communities, whether you're a, you know, a rabbi or a church group leader, or you run a boys group, whatever it may be, or you're just a parent that wants to take out a group of friends and we can give you all the tools and even everything that you need to run these. So we're doing them. Um, right now we're launching in New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Diego, and then we already have ours set up for Dallas and Northern California. But if you're interested in being an offline experience designer and doing some of this work, making a big impact, making a little bit of money in the process, if that's what you desire, then reach out to me and we can get you set up. That's fantastic. Yeah. I'm so glad we got a chance to share that with people. Well, this has been great. I really enjoyed speaking with you, learning more about what you're doing. It's awesome. So thanks so much for being on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, David. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to continuing to develop a strong relationship with you. And thank you for all the listeners out there for, uh, for listening. Thanks so much. Bye now. Take care. Thanks for joining us for this Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, David Klein. David is the founder and chief experience officer of America Offline, reconnecting America through transformational offline experiences. You can find out more about David at americaoffline.info. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review, and share the episode with your friends. Don't forget to also check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about science, technology, and mindfulness, and to sign up for our newsletter to receive a free mindfulness meditation. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with professional counselor on gaming addiction, Jeremy Edge.